0: I would just love to hear you just frame um, what your life looks like, what you do, how you spend your time, what your, uh, yeah, like from afar, you know, from a fan, from like, I I love listening to your, uh, I listen to your podcast. Sometimes I love listening to the podcast with you and Michaela. I'm a massive fan of Michaela's work. And I'm just generally a fan of, of you guys in general and from afar. Uh, you know, I can, I see, I know that you, you have a houseboat somewhere in England and you spend some of your life in, in California and you guys travel all around the world teaching what you do. Um, what do you t- tell people that you do? Like, like, what are you, what do you do, Steve? And, and where are you headed in your life?
1: Yeah, you're right. I do uh, spend time in all different places. I think most, if you counted the days, this is of course apocalyptic pandemic, not, notwithstanding. if you counted the days that I usually spend a place, it's mostly in California. That's where I spend most days. Uh, And then the rest of the time. So I don't know, maybe that's a third of the year or something like that. And then another third of the year uh, or more, we're traveling around. So we're going through Europe and Australia, always traveling, Mm -hmm. uh, teaching there or teaching around the States. And then, usually around two or three, two, two and a half months of the year, I'm on the boat. And you're right, I own a canal boat here in the UK, which is my official home, in the sense that's where my mail goes to. And so, of course, I've been here now since the recent events that we're recording this in June, 2020. So we're sort of a few months into some uh, events that have caused a little bit of a slowdown in travel at the very least. And so I've been spending the entire time here on the boat, which is quite cool. Usually I'm only on the boat between things, Or I come here over the summer for do a period of retreat and so on and then practice. So it's quite interesting to be operating from this bond villain esque floating nerve center. How many square feet is your boat? Like how big is it? Well, roughly it's 59 foot long and six foot 10 wide. Wow. So uh, I don't know how many square feet that is. Long and skinny. Smarter man than me will have to do that.
0: No, <laughs> well, my family just spent the last year. We're not there now, but we spent it in a thirty-three foot RV. So four human beings in a probably equals out because I think it was more like ten or twelve feet wide. So maybe roughly similar footprint.
1: Yes, probably it is. Yeah, this one's long and thin, so all the rooms are in just one straight line. So at the very front is the what they call the saloon or the living room. I you would call it, I think. Then you have the kitchen, which they call the galley. <clears throat> And then off the corridor is the bathroom and shower and in the back is the bedroom, which they call the bedroom (laughs) or the cabin, I suppose.
0: I suppose it would be called a cabin. Yeah. All right. So, so that's, that's your official home. You spent a lot of time in California. Um, This is just a personal question, but are you living the dream? Are you living your dream right now? Is your lifestyle that you're in, is this, is this like, is it, I'm curious. I don't know, even know why I'm wired to think this way. But in terms of trajectory, like, what are you headed toward? What are you looking forward to, like, long term?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because am I living the dream? Yeah, I'd say. I'd say every circumstance has its upsides and its downsides, has its advantages and its disadvantages. And previously, so I'm living very differently to how I was living four months ago or five months ago Mm -hmm. constantly traveling and so on. And that was living the dream. And I had, I was very acutely aware in that process that this is not necessarily going to last forever. And, um, what I'm just the type that does things intensely. So we have this opportunity. Uh, it seems the season is one of traveling for the last five or six years. Really. We've been doing that, traveling around, teaching, working, creative output and so on. Very, uh, uh, intense, mostly traveling, mostly teaching. We do 50 plus events in a year, generally speaking. So we're doing a lot of traveling and we like to pack it in. And that's, I, I presumed, I've always presumed unsustainable. Life is subject to change in many, for many reasons. Now I'm living a different kind of dream. We're staying on the boat here and working from home. I'm lucky that I can do that. If I have an internet connection, I have the ability to be productive. And I can learn and I can practice and I can do all the sorts of things and be, be alone going from being constantly with people all the time, almost 24 seven to being alone for weeks on end. And that's also wonderful. It's the thing you long for when you're traveling, isn't it? And then when you're home, sometimes the thing you long for is traveling. I'm not yet at that stage. I think it'll take me a little longer to long for the road again, just because of how intensely we did it. So it's all, a, it's all a dream really. And, uh, each opera each situation uh, offers as many opportunities if not more than it threatens i think so this has been a situation of disruption the pandemic and so on and uh, etc but also the situation itself is quite workable uh, even if it's difficult i
0: found yeah there's a a phrase in uh some of my studies recently, which is all joy, the Vajrayana phrase, which is, you know, in any any scenario is workable. Any scenario you can uh, find that place. I'm curious as to in this time and in, in this, you know, s- couple months of, of solo time there in your boat, your canal house, what, what are you oriented to? What what are you most lit up by right now? What are you, what are you just, uh, I get the sense that you get engulfed by things or you get sort of really into things. Like you said, you do things intensely. Uh, I might be making an assumption there, but yeah, what is lighting you up these days?
1: You know, it's funny. I had this uh, premonition over over the new years, each new year, I tend to, my habit is to go on a meditation retreat with Shinzen Young, who's mm-hmm. a meditation American meditation teacher, who's been my, one of my main meditation. And so I go on retreat with him each year, at least once over New Year's time for two weeks. And coming out of that, I had a strong premonition uh, feeling that I would needed to spend one year on the boat, this boat that I'm on. And then there was further detail to that, that it would then fork in one of two directions after that. But, and I thought to myself, you know, how am I going to do that? We, uh, we, we already have a whole year of business and teaching commitments planned, like I just outlined, um, constantly teaching and so on. I, um, I can't see how I can possibly get out of that, uh, really. Uh, but at the same time, it seemed very vital. And the sort of thing that if one ignores, things go very wrong, it was that sort of a feeling. It was, I have to do it. And to, to do what and dig a deeper well, I suppose, metaphorically speaking, specifically deepening in practice. D- digging a well in a boat's not a smart move, but it's, metaphorically, I think you're generally safe, but uh, specifically deepening practice and having space to let things unfold and let certain identity tropes unravel, I think. Anyway, so it seemed like, well, I ha- th- this seems very ne- necessary. I don't really want to do it. And I don't know quite how. What do- it's not that I don't want to do it. And then the pandemic hit. Mm. You know? And I thought, oh, okay, that makes things a little easier. So, what's lighting me up. It's it's, uh, I think emptying out, disappearing, thinning out. And from that, the orientation is service Mm -hmm. serving whichever situation I'm in uh, really. And one time, um, yeah, it seems with the thinning out, the emptying out, uh, love sort of spills out, service spills out Mm -hmm. uh, into this situation. Uh, And, yeah, so well, I once had a dream, this is a bit, perhaps a bit strange, but I once had a dream where I was, I went to hell in my dream. And so I arrived, I was in hell, right? And I was on this big road and everything was dark and red and it was like being in a war zone. So there was smoke and there was noise and everything and it was sort of black, red kind of colors. And then there was, I was part of, I was in a group of people who were dressed like soldiers and we were running down this road. And uh, around us and between us were coming these sort of, it's like uh, wheels made of human body parts, essentially. Wow. It's, yeah. like, it's like if you take a human being in pieces and sew them together into a wheel, it's what it was like, but they were alive. These are like living wheels of human body parts, it's like some sort of Hellraiser thing, you know? And we were going there and then the, this huge explosion came and. Um, some of the soldiers I was with were flying everywhere. So it was a sort of hell, hellscape, right? And then I looked up and there was this bright figure uh, coming, was sort of coming into the scene. And then I, and then suddenly I was behind this figure and sort of tra- tra- trailing it, like when they uh, f- fix a camera to a hawk or something and you can sort of see the, or put a camera on the back of a dog, you know, and it's sort mm-hmm. of uh, going that. So I was uh, behind this figure seeing it going through. And it was going through and everywhere it went, it was sort of illuminating and uh, subtly easing and purifying. And in a certain sense, keeping the place company in a way. It was voluntarily keeping the place company. Mm. And I think it's possible to do that, to be in a sort of hellish situation Mm. and sweeten it or to, to witness it or to inhabit it in that situation um so that's i think the term that's sort of the orientation i think is to be willing to um, be in whatever situation one's in and also willing to be in whatever situation is coming next which is another story and what's going to happen next are things going to get worse well pro- probably eventually for everyone eventually um are you willing to go there what are you going to do if things get worse? You know, what are you going to do if stuff goes bad? Right. And so I often think of that dream and think, well, you know, uh, if that's where you get assigned. That's where you get assigned. Isn't it? Mm. There's something about that. And you don't need any people around to do that. I don't think you need any people around to serve the situation or sweeten the situation. It can just be how you tend to your environment or the quality of your attention or the quality of your willingness to be where you are that was the fundamental thing about the dream in a way was the willingness of that sort of uh, mm. character to be there. That actually itself, it's like keep, keeping, keeping the, keeping hell company
0: in a way. Yeah. It's quite I powerful. A, a, a quote that I've stuck in my head from Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche way back. And it was, you know, he was telling a story about having gone to hell and, and experienced time. And he was asked uh you know, what did you do? Or what was your response? He said, I, I tried to stay as long as I could. Um, and that's not word for word, but that's, that's the essence of what he said. So you, you spoke about thinning out and um, emptying out. C- could you speak about that in a um, uh, sort of, yeah, express that or, or share more about that? And, and you know, there may be uh, plenty of folks listening that, either do have a sort of depth meditation practices and some that might not at all, but what does that, what does that mean to, to thin out?
1: Well, I can say what it means experientially, or I can say what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, So I think a lot of the thickness, the sense of thickness of oneself comes from one sort of experience of oneself. What I mean is hmm, how to say it. Well, if you don't pay attention to yourself for long enough, you do disappear. It's like when you watch a movie and you get so absorbed in the film that you disappear functionally speaking or experientially speaking in a way, you don't notice yourself anymore. And that can be the case that often I think we uh, relate to our environment, whether it's spatially or over time or relationally, um, we relate to our environment almost as a sonar or radar to feel ourselves. Mm. In other words, the, the microphone's in front of me, the microphone's over there relative to me, which means I'm over here. If there was nothing over there, then there'd be no here and I wouldn't have a place. So everything in a certain sense, it's all about me, <laughs> where I am. It's sort of the self, self-centered self kind of approach. And uh, if it, instead the microphone is where it is and things are where they are, um, without that necessarily automatic ping back, uh, then things can start to thin out. Also over time, I think when, one's, when, when one casts ahead and through future and thinks of trajectory or looks to the past and thinks of where one's come from, then there's a sense of a three-dimensional self is built, one's sense of oneself is built, but who am I right now? There's not a lot there at this exact moment. I'm an aggregate of what happened before. And in a certain sense, I am a chooser of what's coming next, but if you, but the, but those, uh, but who, who at this exact moment am I? Paying attention to that, or uh, looking for that, one finds, in my experience, very, very little there. Anything could be anything. It's nothing. It's not bound by anything, and that uh, is a certain thinning out. It's a certain uh, yeah, death of continuity. It's a freshness and a, and a freedom and a, a manoeuvrability, but it's not based on anything, uh, and that's that can be a little bit disrupting. So that's that's why it's good to be on the boat, like you mentioned, for a few months, yeah. is because the demands to manifest oneself, to express, you know, to express a sort of face, front face, are reduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the unraveling can go on without being quite so disturbing, maybe, or quite so interrupted.
0: Yeah. How, how much? Are, I mean, is, is your day focused around practice? Is is that a lot of? Are you spending a lot of your time in practice? Is, or is this happening organically throughout throughout your, uh, you know, throughout your day and your weeks and all of this? How how much intentionality are you putting into that process?
1: I don't know. No intentionality. It's just a product of a couple of things: relaxing and paying attention and appreciating. Mm. Paying attention, slash appreciating, it's just a combination of those things. That's basically the, my practice. And relaxing the body, because I noticed, and this is not this is not a revelation, um, that the te- the body builds up tension. Yeah. You know, if I have to go to the pharmacy or something like that uh, at this pandemic time, uh, the body builds up this bit of stress that comes, right? right. Or just, in fact, working and going about day to day, bit of stress. So when I sit down, say to meditate the The first thing is relaxing, mm-hmm. just going in the body and relaxing, relaxing, relaxing the body, and then also relaxing the need to know, uh, but relaxing the body it 's not a forcible thing; you just go through a certain sort of a process and eventually the body ah, drops the tension mm-hmm. um, that can take a while, but it 's sort of an inevitability, I think, and then, uh, as for relaxing. with all the unknown and the the stresses of what's going to happen next and all this sort of thing going on of course the mind also gets stressed trying to compute all those variables and so then the next part is the relaxing into don't know or feeling my ignorance about the future and sometimes labeling it don't know and sizzling in it like a sausage in the pan (laughs) like to say you know so sitting there relaxing the body then, the, then the, the, the mind or the thinking is spasming, looking for something solid, looking for some kind of narrative to project into the future. This is what's going to happen next, looking for some predictability and just letting that relax as well. And then that disrupts for very much what I think we usually think of as when we think of ourselves, which is me here uh, as a sort of braced against the outside to define the inside and placed in time uh, from what is gone before and what we're imagining in the future, which, which are constructions, there are constructions in the moment. Not to say it hasn't happened in the past, but at the moment of, of experiencing it, it's a construction. So when you relax those things, and you're just there, and then there's the appreciation part, or the paying attention, and that's when I notice. When, when I pay attention, I don't. I notice that things are actually fine as they are. The grass is still growing, and you know, the water is still wet. Sun, sun is still hot. The air is still blowing. So the air doesn't mind. So I, I sometimes you find yourself in a really horrible situation, you know, oh my God. But but the light is still light. The table is still, the, you know, a table. The, the wind is still blowing. The wind is blowing and the grass is growing quite happily, totally oblivious to the fact that the world, which revolves around me, of course, in my experience, the world is not going well. You know, I'm having a hard time. Yeah. The, grass, the grass is not having a hard time at all. And so there's something really relieving about that. It's a bit like in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is out there and he's saying, who by worrying can add an hour to his life? And he points at the grass and he points at the sparrows and he points at the flowers and he's sort of pointing at nature and, and using nature as a sort of uh, teaching piece mm-hmm. in a yeah. way. And so I noticed I notice that um, is the case. That's the sort of paying attention part.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your initial answer, we talked about, you know, the thinning out process and the natural sort of outpouring of, of service um, as a part of that. And yeah. um, what's that looking like these days in the midst of this, in the midst of at this moment in time, what does, what does service looking like for you and maybe leading that into um, I have a lot of, a lot of uh, care and compassion for, you know, all the listeners and all the people in this community that um, mm. both need support and want to give it themselves too. Um, right. So.
1: Yeah. Well, you're doing a lot of really amazing service and not everybody <clears throat> has the capacity that you do to do the sorts of things that you do. And so myself, um, it's more slightly more modest uh, acts of service. I mean, I think the best service one can render initially is the quality of attention mm-hmm. to the situation. The quality of attention, that I think is something devotional about that. Yeah. There's something uh, that is really correct about that. And then from there, there's lots of possibilities. And you know, that all that business about self-contraction or self-energy um, being bound up in... Constantly fixing yourself and constantly fee- fixing—I I don't mean uh, making better. I mean uh, literally generating and feeling oneself, you know, to sort of reassure oneself that you're there. Uh, if that can be dropped a little bit, then there's a lot more energy and maneuverability uh, available for other things. Uh, objections like, "Well, I'm not that kind of person. I don't do that sort of thing." Are less pertinent. It's like, "Well, what can be done here? Never mind who I am, but what can be done here? And can I do it?" So for me, what does it look like? Well, it looks like that, <clears throat> paying attention and that sort of thing. Uh, if you want pressing my lips up against the situation and against the sensory experience of the moment, that I think is important. Uh, well, it's imp- it's certainly within my capacity to do. And beyond that, of course, I do things like, I mean, strictly speaking, you know, I, I, I started a free meditation club. So people come along on Wednesdays and we do I do a couple of classes on a Wednesday and people come along, meditate and t- learn a new technique, do that for an hour. I'm doing free workshops uh, on med- on meditational things, um, w- w- which is, is, is new. Um, I've ramped up the podcast where I'm interviewing all kinds of interesting people. Um, that's, a, that's an active service because people listen to it, enjoy it and benefit from it to some degree. And it's something that I can do, I can offer it's interviewing interesting people and getting the best out of them and getting interesting things. And that entertains people and it informs people and it relieves them. And that's a certain degree of service. And also to the neighborhood, the place that I'm in uh, looking after a little bit, certain family members nearby and being uh, just generally uh, useful in the area is an act of service uh, to a certain extent, that sort of thing, really uh, talking to people, uh, texting with people, being, in relationship with people well that sort of thing i think is an act of being available basically for what uh, what can be done i would say and trying to live um well trying to live well yeah. so that i'm in good shape
0: yeah.
1: mentally for when opportunities arise that i can actually be useful as opposed to be on my back barely surviving myself Try to be in good shape. You know that's
0: why. That's why. That triggers. Um, yeah. Let's let's dive right through that portal together because that, and that's that's how I uh, regard and, and see and know you, Steve. Is you know through through your work and your podcast and everything. I feel like um, I look up to you in incredibly in the sense of of that exact thing of being in good shape. And I don't mean just physically, but mentally and spiritually, psychologically. I feel like you have. And again, I might be making assumptions here, so please call me if it's not accurate. But I get a sense there's a, um, a phrase I've heard you use a couple of times, which is the golden thread of the daily practice. And I feel like you're a technician of, of some sorts in in being in shape in, in this gl- more global, holistic way. And maybe as an act of service, or I, I feel like for, for our listenership and for our community, um, I, I do feel like that's a place, that's not my... Uh, that's not where I'm most powerful. That's not where I'm most able to add value and service. I, th- I think um, any sort of sharing of, uh, yeah, either if you want to cut it down to, a, to like a basic subset or some general principles that that you share and you teach and you practice, or just share your own your own you know your own practice, your own experience. But I think uh, I'd love to hear uh, instructions, guidance, support, anything you have in that.
1: To do with practice, you know. Yeah, yeah. To the point of being in shape or being fit for the fight or whatever is the case, you know, that depends once again on your capacities. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be very fit. It just means you're as fit as you can be. And sometimes circumstances as such, you know, health, financial, social, environmental circumstances that takes chunks out of you and you haven't got much fight in you. And that's the, that's the way it is. So you, you just work with what you've got, you know, that certain times in life, life is you're, you're fighting a rear guard action uh, into a dead end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like a, one of them Spartan movies or something, you know, it's like that. Sometimes life's like that. Well, that's how it's going to go. How are you going to fight that rear guard action? Uh, with how best you can in certain sense. So I'm not, not to say that one should be sort of rippling with psychological, uh, you know muscles or something like that I, I, it, to me it's an orientation. What can I do that moves you incrementally incrementally uh, uh, chooses something more proactive rather than uh, constantly reactive in that way it's, it's, uh, that sort of thing but yeah, as for the golden thread well that's basically the idea that you need a golden minimum um, a golden minimum is something let's say you want to do meditation for example it's somewhat prosaic example, but you want to do your meditation practice. And for myself, I notice it really helps me a lot. Like I say, I can sit down, relax, release tension. I didn't even know was there. Relax my mind. Sometimes I get really good creative ideas when I'm meditating as well, um, because you take yourself out of the flow of busyness and demand just for a, pre- a brief period of time. And I find that really, really good to help make better decisions and help be uh, a, a more pleasant person to those around you, which is not something to be sniffed at by the way, to be an incrementally more pleasant person to those who have to contact you, especially on a regular basis is an enormously yeah. important thing. They would certainly say so. You know, nice Dan is definitely a lot, lot better to be trapped in a house with, with grumpy Dan compared to nice Dan. I mean, it's a big deal. Slightly <laughs> nicer Dan. it's like, I don't even need nice Dan. Just give me slightly nicer Dan, right? I mean, I think that's obvious. And so that's to me is, is a significant thing. That's a significant thing. Uh, but anyway, so, so for me, I find meditation as people roll their eyes at it to be quite useful for that. At the very least it's useful for that. And, uh, anyway, some people that's going for a walk or fishing, so it doesn't have to be, but let's just say meditation. Of course, something easy, a minimum that you can easily do five minutes, 10 minutes is better uh, than an ambitious minimum. Most people, uh, when they're doing something like meditation, they'll set themselves a goal that's a little out of reach or a little bit demanding so that they basically leveraging their resistance or fear or fear, or they're, they're resisting, not wanting to fail. They're leveraging rather, not wanting to fail. So if I, you know, I really don't, I want to keep my streak, so I'm going to so leverage that desire to keep my streak and that's keep what's going to keep me consistent because I don't want to fall away from my goal. Um, but that yeah, I find that to be an ineffective um, method. Some hmm. people it works. I find it to be ineffective. I prefer to set myself something so easy that I can't believe I get away with it when I've done it. So then you're walking out of each session going, "Ha! Huh. Like you can't believe you like, cheated it in some way. You're like I can't believe I got away with it." And you have this then. There's this momentum of confidence. There's this is a momentum of the champagne of victory. You know, yeah. feeling of like yeah 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 of course this is somewhat of a positive feedback loop and you start to get and then you start to get over the hump of consistency and implementation and you start to get yeah this is good this is good and then you start to improve the quality of those 10 minutes so you rather than spacing out you start to no, let me just get let me just You've got a little spare energy now because you're, you're, you're feeling good about it. You've got a bit of spare energy. You've been consistently doing it for a little bit of time, five minutes, 10 minutes. And you said, let me just make it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So you just make that five or 10 minutes a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Um, and that's improving it, even though you're meditating the same amount of time or you say to yourself, okay, let me add another five minutes. Or you know what? It's Sunday. Let me do an hour. Let's see if I can do that, etc., etc. And you play around with it in that way. But the point is, uh, that way you're actually doing it very regularly. And that's the through line is regular time compounds your efforts. If you do something like meditation for 10 minutes a day for a month, that's 300 minutes. But if you did it every day, it has this sort of compounding effect like savings accounts used to do. And these, I don't know about, you know, before there was not very good interest, but so by the end of the month, because you've been consistent, you get an extra 30 points, 50 points. Who knows? There's something that comes from the consistency. Um, and it's sustainable and it's integratable. And that's very powerful. People tend to, I've heard somebody say, probably someone like Tony Robbins or someone like that, that people underestimate, uh, overestimate what they can achieve in a week and underestimate what they can achieve in a year. And I think that's true. So there's something like with the when the waves crash against the rocks, mm. rocks are hard, waves are soft, but over time, the waves will uh, shape the rocks and begin to uh, mold them or carve them and or, or at least, you know, begin, yeah, in some sort of a way. So that's that. And then there's this expansion and contraction. So naturally, as enthusiasm grows, or circumstances are, are there, one's practice expands. You do more time, let's say, let's say it's meditation is your hobby, like it's one of, it's one of my mm-hmm. hobbies, right? So I have more time, or I'm enthusiastic and feeling really good, sure, I start to do more and more and more, because it's just one of the things that I like to do. And then, but then certain situations come, so let's say you've gone from five to 10 minutes and over three weeks or whatever. Now you're up to 40 minutes or half an hour or something. And then circumstances change and they, your, your routine begins to be squeezed or your own enthusiasm wanes because enthusiasm waxes and wanes in the same way that energy waxes and wanes when you're going to train in the gym. Sometimes you go in full of energy. Other times you don't feel the energy. So you need to be able to adjust your training or your intensity or your duration, whatever is the case, uh, based on how you feel. So if you don't feel like doing half an hour, but you've worked your way up to it, so now if you, you can't go back to 10 minutes because then you're going backwards. Oh contraire, you're not, because it's cumulative. So then you go, oh well, my like golden minimum is five or 10 minutes. You know, Okay, fine, geez. And then you sit down there thinking, well, I've been doing half an hour for the last three months, but now I just wanna do my, my golden minimum 10 minutes. So you sit down, you think, I can't believe I'm getting away with this. <laughs> I can't believe I'm getting away with this. And then, or you, or you're, you, know, you you sit down for one minute. You say, "I'm going to sit down for one minute." And you're sort of sh- flirting with the cushion, just showing it your backside temporarily. You sit down there for one minute. You're just laughing. You say, "I can't believe I'm getting away with it," uh, but you do. And you, and you, you, walk away, going, "This is amazing. I just did it again. I just did it again." And uh, so I, that attitude is a totally different approach. Yeah. Um. You say, "Well, one minute's not going to do anything." Well, yeah. N- n- one minute's not going to do anything. Well, now there's half an hour. half an hour is not going to do much either by itself the point is it's over time isn't it one minute and the way in which you work with your psychology and the way in which you work with resistance to open it to sit for one minute is far more significant than what you do in that one minute you're beginning to understand yourself and beginning to work with yourself rather than constantly beating yourself into trying to get somewhere else be someone else do that's, something else that's
0: such a that's,
1: let me work exactly with who i am and yeah. how i am with my resistance and then your resistance becomes the jumping off point for this champagne of victory
0: you know that is such such a uh, powerful uh, approach and understanding to yeah you know what strikes me in there is is some real uh almost tenderness and and care in in oneself in that approach um, as opposed to the, oh, the brutality of goal setting. Oftentimes the brutality of the, you know, how we regard ourselves when we're attempting to yeah, meditate or, or get fit or whatever it is that we're doing. That's really beautiful.
1: Lots of people have never witnessed what happens when you practice something like, for instance, going to the gym and getting stronger or learning a musical instrument or picking up a second language Or, you know, whatever it is, right. Most people, most of our learning, our conscious active learning took place when we were children, uh, or in that kind of time, and it was a little bit muddled by being children, and we didn't know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. But also, you're not really, you know, you're thinking about tests and exams, there's so much going on, you don't even notice it, most people don't notice it. But that moment where you start to see, actually notice an effect or a change, you know, you can suddenly play something on on your guitar or piano, or or you, suddenly something happens from a meditation point of view, some results, some you notice something happen, and you when you start to make that line between practice and results, um, then and in a certain sense you realize that if you if you sit down and do the bit of practice within your capacity because as I've just mentioned, practicing more than you can do is, is not possible. You cannot yeah. practice more than you can do. You can try, but you'll fail because by definition it's more than you can do. So amazing what can be done when you start to make that connection, then there's a sense of confidence, I think begins to come you, you think, well, it's, it's just going
0: to be worth it. Well, you that can confidence taste
1: the result as you're doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So those words, the confidence, tasting the result, to me, it's um, I'm, ref- I'm, kind of flying back to a, a chunk in my, one of the most purely blissful times of my life. I was in my twenties and I, I moved down to Ecuador and I was studying Spanish. So was, I was taking on a new language. And um, the way it feels to me as I think about it is that that act and, you know, so, so feeling, consciously feeling the expansion, you know, I'm sure there's neurochemical, I'm sure there's, you know, neuro things happening there that could explain this or be scientific about it. But it feels like almost opening a, a chest and in, inside that chest is just so much energy, just like, phoom, just like, Oh man, like uh, uh, enlivenment and and confidence. And, you know, and in that time period of my life, like li- I'm literally, I'm not exaggerating, like a novel, like kind of fell out of me. I just kind of like, bloop, you know, there's, there's a novel. I put three months into here's an album. Here's all this stuff. Huh. And that, but yeah, I really love uh, zeroing in on that. Uh, that moment and it, you know that maybe that's an extreme example, but having that momentum, that life like generating feeling is so huge. It and it, it can be the driver of so much. I feel.
1: Yeah, it certainly can. It certainly mm-hmm. can. Practice can, can give you that sense. And I've noticed lots of people who uh, lots of people, of course, struggle to do, I mean, meditation is a classic example, struggle with that to do it. And I've seen lots of people, are successful, finally, you know, in doing in putting it together a regular practice in that way, and it it can be very get a lot of confidence out of that. Like I said, it's the understanding of oneself in the practice. It's the understanding of one's psychology, the understanding mm-hmm. of oneself, how to work with the situation and work with oneself. Con- a lot of practices are fundamentally rejecting where we are and who we are. Mm-hmm. You sit down to meditate; it's a rejection of yourself and a rejection of where you are and who you are, and that's, you know. It's not to say that that can't yield results. It, it can, but I think the results are, are yield and yielded in a certain sense, despite that perspective. Whereas approaching it from a different point of view where you're enjoying uh, or appreciating or at least accepting, accepting that I don't want to do it. So I'm only going to do a small amount of time or I really want to do it, or I'm really trying to get enlightened or I don't, I'm not going to get enlightened. All these sorts of things. Sure, sure, whatever, whatever, just taking whatever it is. And just doing it and working with it uh, skillfully, I think, is the is the important lesson. And then, you know, whether you're focusing on your breath or doing a mantra or you know body scanning or something like that, uh, that's the, then that's a whole other that's a whole other situation. What are you doing when you're meditating is a whole other thing entirely, of course. But, but I think what we're describing here, what we're riffing on here, is calm to all practice.
0: Right, right. Well, I think it might be very um appropriate and helpful to talk about even in just broad categories different types of meditation because i don't think that's common knowledge necessarily that i think there is this blanket so meditation I, I just think it's you know people aren't um haven't slowed down enough or been given the opportunity to see the the wild difference in there i would love to hear you expound on that just a little bit different kinds yeah
1: yeah well we have to define what we mean by meditation and it's a yeah. word that's got many different meanings in different contexts. But mostly, I think, when people think of meditation, we think of it as some kind of contemplative or Mm -hmm. psycho-spiritual exercise of some kind, right? Usually associated with sitting, Mm -hmm. usually associated with sitting on a cushion, although you can sit in a chair, you can lie down or you can stand or you can be walking or doing lots of things. But generally, people think of it in that way a period of formal practice could be defined as a period where that's the main thing you're focusing on, you know, in the same way that we're having a, you know, we're having a real, you know, formal conversation in the sense that this is, I'm not doing anything else. And so that, but then beyond that, it's, it's quite open season all around the world. And in almost every culture that I've ever heard of, there, there is some kind of orientation, some contemplative, orientation of course we have it in all the major religions christianity etc has a rich history of medita- meditative practices uh, which not a lot of people know about but of yeah, course i don't think everyone they do. knows about, yeah. yeah a lot of people know about buddhism of course you know yeah. the dalai lama and so on uh a lot of people know about yoga and yoga yo- indian um, yogic um as, as they're called hindu which is uh, a bit of a sort of catch all terms mm-hmm. uh, anyway but there's all kinds of things chinese have got stuff japanese have got stuff no and certainly within buddhism for instance there's many different schools there's many different eras or epochs of buddhism this is th- things you can find on wikipedia but in, when it comes to meditation there's many different things there's more active and there's more passive there's the style where you observe sensations whether you're observing your breath or body sensations, or maybe you're observing visual, auditory sensations, like looking and hearing and so on. Maybe you're watching your mind. Uh, there's all kind of observing like this, that where you're not necessarily generating any content, you're just watching it. And there's a whole category of active meditations, where you're attempting to generate, say, good feeling of loving, kindness and positive feeling uh, through various, perhaps, visualizations or recitations or even body positions. Uh, there's styles where you visualize things. I it, think it, it's a classic sort of hypnosis, hypnosis tape of visualizing yourself on an island, desert island, you know, relaxing and so on. Well, that actually, that's actually a classic technique in a way. Mm-hmm. You can visualize, there's some schools where you visualize a, a God, a kind of a, a godlike figure. And then you visualize yourself becoming the godlike figure. And, and well, there's sorts of reasons for that that you do. And so there's all kinds of things. There's meditations which are anti-meditations or gom or shikantazin. You just sit there. You sit there to express the, you know, you express enlightenment rather than achieve achieving. You know? So there, there's things like that where you're just sitting there. You're not trying to do a technique. I mean, it is a technique. It's a technique if not doing a technique, which is, it's just a technique. There's, there's physical ones where you're holding your breath and putting your eyes in certain positions and putting your fingers and body in different positions to trigger physiological um, or they say energetic, um, mm-hmm results so that looks something more like you've seen a yoga studio a little bit more like that etc so there's this qigong or moving meditation of all kinds where you're moving your body you're not still at all actually but then there's qigong where you stand stock still for four hours with one leg out, etc so i mean there's so many things there's meditation where you read the bible and put yourself in the bible and you know this sort of living reading uh, kind of way or you sit there and you just you, you rest and don't know mind or learned ignorance it's a Christian term and it's a Zen term as well yeah. or you pray pray for people you you know pray well wishes to god or you pray you know whatever is the case you do mantras sit there and do mantras and so on uh, for all kinds of reasons so there's many many different kinds of meditation and a, and sometimes it looks like they contradict so sometimes we have people from different schools or different people different practice arguing what's what's best and what's the most effective and so on but the point is there's many many different kinds and i think many people have natural meditations without any of these techniques walking in nature making love uh, reading a book uh, that period of time when you wake up and you have maybe some period of time and you're just totally relaxed etc which reminds me there's also meditations where you dream you you learn to work with your dreams and the and the cycles of sleep to try to in a certain sense uh penetrate what's usually an unconscious or instinctive process of falling asleep and dreaming and so on so you begin to become aware you're dreaming while you're dreaming for instance or you begin to try to stay aware as you fall asleep so your body falls asleep but you stay somewhat aware and you go into the states of dis- dissolution and, and and so on and so forth so there's meditations you do with when with a sexual partner you know there's meditations you do with a spiritual teacher imagining them and imagining are them and merging your mind with their mind i mean there's really is so many it's one of the great hobbies of human race i think is to come up with these cool ways to explore and and to trace the contours of possibility of experience and being a human being the tibetan tradition they say milu which means um precious human birth meaning that it's so cool to be a human being and they have reasons why they say that's the case it's like we're we have a good enough life that we can we know what's going on to some degree but not too good a life that we uh that we just enjoy ourselves all the time so we have this sort of in between sort of uh, dullness or ignorance and and totally having a great time. So we have this really interesting opportunity of kind of s- sort of standing on both sides of the fence, something like that. But it's true to be a human being is a wonderful thing. It's a really wonderful thing on a purely sensory level. Sometimes shitty things happen to human beings. And sometimes being being a person at that particular point is not very nice. But the raw apparatus or the apparatus, the me- mechanics of being a human being is amazing. And I think that's basically what meditation is. At least that's how I think of it, is a way of exploring and uh, uncovering and relating with experience of being alive, really.
0: Mm. That's a beautiful definition. Yeah, what a lovely uh, pointed sp- yeah, definition of exploring the possibilities of human life. Um, and just in this in this last little chunk, I want to shift just just briefly into a lot of my focus and work is is certainly for men and for those who identify as men and in the midst of in the midst of both the the pandemic and um, but I want to add to that also the the current moment of uh, racial injustice and the kind of the great awakening that I guess is or isn't happening, hopefully it feels like it is happening. Um, and I don't even, you know, in these times, uh, I actually go back and forth with with my own uh, experience about, uh, you know, I, I know that my life has been sort of shaped and formed by so much direct interaction with men, much of it in the wilderness. And and I know there's something, There is there's a service, there's a gift here, I do sometimes go back and forth that it feels limiting. And this is a full human, you know, we, we, I, I sometimes want to just be talking about the human experience or the transhuman experience, whatever this whole thing is. But in these times, in this moment, um, I mean, I know you do, you also do have offerings for men and you do have your own way of, of working with men specifically. Um, I, I would love to hear what it means to you to regard and serve men in, in these times? And if it, I don't want to be too, too directive here in my questioning, but um, then I'll, I'll be quite directive, but then we you can take it wherever you want. But sure. what do you feel like is an appropriate role or response uh, for men in these times in, 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 this current moment of, of what's happening? Where, where can men, I, I guess I, you know, I'm calling myself out here. I, I often, I often feel like um, the world really needs uh, this. <laughs> the world, whatever that means, I feel like if men could uh, unlock, I feel like there's so many resources locked up in a heck of a lot of men who are pretty frozen in the world. There's a lot of goodness. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of service that that is is not being accessed. It's not being given. And so, in my own head, in my own language, uh, I, I, I can get to a place feeling like the world needs this from us guys. Like, hey, come on, wake up! We it needs us. Our planet, you know, our children need us. Our children's children need us. Like, we are at a moment in time. Uh, and I guess this is some, you know, not veiled strategy to, to mobilize men. And and I'm not I'm not necessarily looking for any response on that level, but I'm I'm curious. You know, what, uh, what do you see as is the Place the role, the responsibilities of men today.
1: Yeah, well, I think it depends on the man very much. Depends on the man, his situation, his capacities, and capabilities. It's entirely possible to make things a lot worse trying to make things better. Mm. Um, it's very possible to do that. And Also, I think sometimes of, you know, one of the hardest things for families, one of the hardest, one, a hard thing for a family to deal with is having an addict in the family, say an alcoholic or
0: mm-hmm.
1: something like this, or just someone with self-destructive tendencies in some, in some regard, because someone that you are prepackaged to love, and already have a relationship with uh in that way and you try to help them and this is usually how the cycle goes it's called enabling in 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 trying to help you make things worse trying to help you make in in saving them from hitting rock bottom and so on you know and it's not just and so eventually what uh, it's very very hard sometimes the the most kind thing one can do is let a person be themselves let a person um run into the consequences of their actions as painful as it, is, as it is for you to watch and as painful as it may be for you to be in the proximity of. So in other words, one can't always help. One can't always help. And besides, what you think would be helping might make it worse. Do you know what's better or worse? First of all, does one understand the problem? Do you understand the problem? Have you quantified it in terms of its causes and its effects? Are the symptoms and the proposed causes the same? This needs to be clearly defined, because it's difficult to fix a problem you don't understand. You're liable to, it's sort of like shooting in the dark. You might hit something, you, know, you might hit something, but who knows what else you're going to hit in the way. Um, then one needs to, in a certain sense, say, well, what would be a better place? Where, where, what would be better? And what would there be some proposed solutions? And then one would have to track those solutions. Very often, one what one initially thinks is a good idea doesn't work, and then you have to change. And very often you think, if you hear this in tech companies, you hear, you know, in, in all sorts of people, inventors, what they thought was going to work, didn't work, but going through the iterations, they found something that did, or maybe they discovered that the problem wasn't what they thought it was after all, it was something entirely different. So there has to be this constant willingness to be really, really honest and realistic about what's going on. Um, without that, it's very, very difficult to make things better. It's basically sheer luck. So I don't think that um, one is necessarily obliged to do anything in particular with those caveats. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the best thing one can do is stay out of the way. Sometimes you feel you have to do something. Sometimes you feel you have to do this. So what's the, what should men do? I think uh, men should think for themselves as opposed to seeing themselves as men, a group, belonging to a group of men. Think for yourself, what can you do Uh, What uh, what do you want to do? What should you do? Thinking for oneself is, I think, very important. Mm. Uh, But you know, people like you, of course, are working with men as a group. You see trends, and you're able, I think, to work uh, on that broad on that broad level, and and making, if you want, shifts and improvements or uh, helping groups of people where lots and lots of men share this. So you can, you know, with your organization. You do this amazing, amazing work. That's very, very difficult work. It's very difficult work. You're thinking on that kind of really broad level. Mm-hmm. So what, what should, what should each, each man do in a situation of difficulty or turmoil or upset? I think one does whatever one can. yeah, yeah. And not be led around by um, obligation, essentially. Mm -hmm. Very, very difficult, though, to be true to what you think you should do. It's very difficult. (laughs) But if you really want the thing you say you really want, then one has to think extraordinarily seriously about these things I've said. Problem, solution, outcomes, tracking, adjusting. Is it possible? Can you even do anything? If not, it may be human race, a country, a family, a family member, May be like an alcoholic Mm. um, that cannot be helped, and all you if you step in front of that karmic train, all you're doing is getting run over by the train yourself, and the train will still crash.
0: Mm.
1: So, it's not entirely clear that to me that um, things can be helped or things need to be helped. Maybe it's just the natural course of things, yeah. Things come together and things fall apart, trees grow and trees fall over, and they rot into the ground. So, could be the case that that these cycles apply not just to plants and trees and people, but also to groups, countries, yeah. systems. We have a long history, I think, as people of things getting worse. And some of the cultures which we've referenced so far talking about meditation techniques have definitely gone through periods of obscene brutality and destruction and awfulness mm-hmm. brought, uh, among themselves and on others and by others. And so humans have that capability. We certainly all have the capability
0: to make things a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Well. Big, beautiful, and sobering. Um, I guess. We're all going to (laughs) die sometime, Dan.
1: We've all got to die
0: sometime. (laughs) We all get sick sometimes. That's
1: what happens. You know, you don't get out of this in one piece. You're going to take some dings along the way, and eventually you take the big ding.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting i i know that my fire is revved by uh you know the, my father my position as a father and yeah i think there's a there's a balance there of feeling responsible for them and responsible for well, i guess uh, conditions around them and um yeah i, I noticed a, a difference in you know um kind of letting go and surrendering to, to my experience and my life and, you know, my death and those things. But I think there's a, there's a big chunk there with, uh, that involves my children that's like, whoo, I'm not there yet. I guess I'm gonna have to, gonna have to work on that too, you know.
1: It's that's right. That's why it's so difficult. I mentioned in families when someone's an addict or in self, self, self-destructive pattern because the natural um, wiring is to <laughs> lay down your life for that person. But even that won't help. You know, even that won't help. Sometimes it won't help um, to do that. And that's awful to feel. In a sense, it's almost worse, I think, than, than working with your own um, inevitable extinction. So I think anyway, that the this is not to say some sort of passivity. It's not what I'm advocating at all. I'm advocating sobriety. So that what one does, recognizing that things don't have to be good things might be bad things might get worse struggle may come and that half of the if your half of your energy is is caught up in in rejecting the fact that that's the case or in uh, being upset about the injustice of it uh, then that's a lot of energy you can't apply to ruthlessly thinking clearly and mm-hmm. acting as best as you can, or not acting as the case may be, doing what is the best thing you think you can do. That's real service because, in a certain sense, you make yourself fully available to the situation, as opposed to giving some of your availability, some of your energy as a negotiation for your own position. Let me just give, let me do a little bit. I just, but fundamentally, I'm holding on to myself. Fundamentally, I'm holding on to myself, my preferences, what I want. It's fine to have preferences, but you're not always going to get them. But you want to hold on to that. How can I work this for, for my benefit? How can I position myself so it works for me? And so I'm in a good place or so I can continue on in some sort of a way. And so that uh, unconscious grasping, I think, limits the capacity of the of the mind to be really creative and to be really innovative in terms of what could a new situation look like could I be contributing here or what can I say or do or what are the new ways of looking at things? It's so important, especially when there's conflict, which at this exact time of this recording, there is a degree of conflict occurring in the, you know, in the United States and other places. And big pro- part of the problem is people are just solidifying on their own sides. So, yeah.
0: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to cap that phrase as uh, I'm going to take that away. The ruthless clarity of thinking, you know, ruthlessly finding clear thinking, um, that is a book, should you find the time to write, Steve, that I would <laughs> really voraciously uh, ingest and take on. And, what a gift um, though, isn't it? Yeah.
1: What a gift yeah. to the situation to yeah. make yourself available, make your capacities available to the situation without diluting yourself with vast amounts of self-concern. That's an enormous yeah. gift, a great service, I think, to do that.
0: Anyway. Oh, beautiful man let's uh we'll cap it off there is there anything you'd like to share with the audience in terms of what's coming up or anything just anything in the world you'd like to plug or show or share
1: like well yeah i mean uh guruviking.com is where my podcast is it's where the meditation clubs are for free most things i'm doing for free at the moment just because it's pandemic and also, uh, Michaela and I are still doing things together. Most of that comes out of michaelabohm.com. We still do some online things. Michaela's doing a lot of online things at the moment, teaching nonlinear classes and so on and so forth. So that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. But, um, yeah, I yeah. get to
0: interview Michaela a couple days from now. I'm excited for that. Oh,
1: good. Yeah, yeah. great.
0: Well,
1: well, tell well, her I you. said hi. <laughs>
0: I will. Uh, thank you for for your time. Thank you for your clarity of thought. And um, yeah, I really appreciate this, Stephen, and, and I hope you're. Um, uh, your, uh, further thinning out is, uh, is, is a, a good experience for you, man. Thank you. Uh, take care.